Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation justice was denied him who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth and the eunuch said to philip about whom i ask you does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself as, as at Azotas, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Are you guys ready? This is an awesome, awesome story. Let's pray and let's dig in. God, thank you for this story, this true story. Thank you for allowing us to study the early church in these past few months. And um, God, as we've studied the early church and how you um, established the church and everything that happened after that it's been amazing to see one thing and that thing is God your mission is unstoppable because you're an unstoppable God um, and it's been incredible to see that and so today as we look at the story of Philip's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch God I pray that we would see what you want us to see um, as I look to point out how, you know, obedience doesn't always um, make sense, but it's always part of your great purposes. God, I pray that you would help us see um, areas and ways you're calling us to be obedient to you. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So far in Acts, we've seen how the persecution against the early church, which was caused by the death of Stephen, 
um, was used by God to fulfill his ultimate purpose of his people being his witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And we started last week. Last week was a bit of a turning point in Acts where the gospel um, reached Samaria out of Jerusalem. We've also seen how Philip spearheaded the mission to Samaria. And because of Philip's faithful preaching of the gospel, um, even in the midst of intense persecution and uncertainty, many Samaritans believed. That's what we looked at last week, like how God saved many Samaritans and the spirit um, was poured out on the Samaritans. And it was incredible. Even um, Simon, who was a well-known and a very, very popular figure, a sorcerer, got saved. And so the spirit comes down on the Samaritans just to authenticate that God was, in terms of God's salvation, was not limited to just the Jews, but it was also for everyone else, right? Um, and so the spread of the gospel also wasn't limited to these regions. It wasn't limited to um, Jerusalem, Judea, um, and Samaria. We're going to see today that the gospel, the plan of God's purpose for his son to be known went further than all of these regions. If you remember this, just before Jesus returned to heaven, um, he told his disciples that they would not only be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, but also to the end of the earth. Let's read his exact words from Acts 1 verse 8. Again, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and where? And to the end of the earth. I so wished we were like in person now to like hear you guys respond but I trust that you were. I can't see your faces. I can see the pro presenter but I trust that you responded even though you was on your own. All right. Um, as Clinton Arnold says, who is a scholar, Bible teacher, this episode, this story we're going to study um, in Acts marks an enormous stride forward toward the fulfillment of this goal. Just as persecution caused the gospel to spread to Judea and Samaria, this story of Philip's encounter with an Ethiopian eunuch represents the inaugural step of the gospel going out to the Gentiles. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, a Gentile is anyone who's not a Jew. OK, and so most of you are Gentiles. And so this is a key moment in Acts. And I want you guys to do your best to focus because this is a turning point, a key moment in our history as a church. From this episode in our Acts series, this is what we're going to learn, everyone. We're going to learn this. Obedience doesn't always make sense, but it always fulfills God's purposes. Let me say that again. And if you're making notes, put this down. This is the big idea for our study today. Obedience doesn't always make sense, but it always fulfills God's 
purposes. As I mentioned earlier, Philip's ministry in Samaria has been a great success. But as Philip is faithfully engaging in God's work among the Samaritans and seeing God do great and mighty things, what happens next is totally unexpected. Basically, what happens is that an angel appears to him and commands him to leave Samaria. For real, look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Okay, what does all of this mean? Okay, for Philip, leaving Samaria at the peak of a revival when things were going really well, it would have been extremely difficult for him. But where he's told to go by the angel makes it even worse. The angel's very specific here. He doesn't only tell Philip where to go, but he also tells him the exact route to take to get there. He tells him to go to Gaza specifically using the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, the city of Gaza was a city that was located on the southern coast. It was a bustling city known for being a center of trade, but it was also a hub for pagan temples. And the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza um, it's described in our verse. If you look at the last part of verse 28, what does it say? This is a desert place. Okay. <laughs> so here's what's happening. Philip is being commanded by the angel to leave a place buzzing with fruitful ministry for a place filled with pagan temples and he's supposed to get there using a road that mainly goes through a desert. <laughs> Incredible. And this must have been extremely difficult for Philip. Think about it. If you were involved in a church, if you were involved in a ministry um, in a particular city and things were happening, God was moving big time. A lot of people were getting saved, people from all backgrounds, working class, wealthy class, being saved and baptized. And then one day God tells you to leave everything and go to a pagan city a foreign city, a city you're not familiar with, using a desert route to get there. How would you respond? I'm sure <laughs> that your initial response would be, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Or something similar. This is not of you, <laughs> right? Um, David Guzik. Um, it does a good job explaining what our initial response would probably be. He says, if one heard the call 
to leave such a blessed, fruitful ministry, one likely would think it was the devil speaking and not the Lord. One might think not now or not me or not there. That's how I would probably respond. How would you respond? Most importantly, how does Philip respond? Look at the very first part of verse 27. It says simply, and he, that is Philip, rose and went. Philip obeys God even though it doesn't make sense. He's being told to trade a place of fruitful ministry for a dry, desolate, deserty. I'm not sure if there's a word called deserty, but deserty place where nobody went and nothing really happens. But Philip obeys, even though it doesn't make sense. What about you? Are you willing to obey God even when it doesn't make sense? Even when the kind of obedience that is required makes you uncomfortable. What could God be calling you to that requires uncomfortable faith? Maybe he's calling you towards a new ministry opportunity, similar to Philip. Maybe he's not calling you to a particular location, but he's saying to you, right now, um, you are in a city and in a church, and I am um, calling you to serve and give your life to serving your brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe he's calling you to give financially, financially to give more to the church. Maybe he's asking you to pursue reconciliation, whether it's um, racial reconciliation with the recent discussions on race. Maybe God's calling you more to understand and reconcile in your heart what it all means. Or maybe he's asking you to reconcile with someone in your life that you have been in conflict with. Um, they hurt you or you got in a conflict with them and for a while you've not spoke to them and God may be calling you to reconcile with them or perhaps God is calling you to obey him by confessing sin in your life. The sin or a pattern or a habitual sin or something in your life that you've been hiding for a while and God is saying to you, Obey me by bringing it to me, not just to me, but confessing it to your brother or sister in the church. Whatever it is, what could God be calling you to that requires uncomfortable obedience? And if he's not calling you to something right now that requires uncomfortable obedience, the truth is sometime in the future, he will. You will be required to obey God's call 
even when it doesn't make sense. Back to our story. And so, as Philip travels on the desert route from Jerusalem to Gaza, it's not long before he realizes that he's not the only one taking this route. There's someone else around. Normally, this desert route is quiet with little or no activity at all. It's the road less traveled. No one, not much happens here. No one travels on this desert route, but he realizes that there's someone else traveling on this desert route. Who is this person? Um, verse 27 and 28 tells us who he is. Let's read that. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. A court official of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. On the desert road, Philip meets a eunuch in a chariot on his way home from Jerusalem. Who was this guy? The first thing we find out about him is that he's an Ethiopian. He's most likely a citizen of Nubia, which was an ancient region south of Egypt, and the majority of the people who lived in that location were black. Second, he's a eunuch. A eunuch was a term used for men who were infertile because of castration. Author Russ Ramsey has a good explanation as to why these men were emasculated. This is what he says. Eunuchs were male servants in royal households who were emasculated to ensure their loyalty to their post and their right conduct among the women they served was maintained. Basically, you know what's going on here. They were emasculated so that they could do their jobs properly without any distractions. Third, this Ethiopian is a court official of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians. In our modern world, Candies is a common name for females, but in the ancient world, it was a title like president or prime minister. It was a title used by queens in Ethiopia who at times had to step in to rule in place of their sons. Lastly, what we find out about this Ethiopian is that he is in charge of all her treasures. Put simply, he's responsible for the financial affairs of Candice, Queen of Ethiopia. And so, he's a man of stature. He's a man of influence. This Ethiopian is basically a high-ranking official. Not only that... But the other interesting thing about him is that he's a God-fearer. He's devoutly religious, which at the time made him one of few Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, the religious beliefs of Jews. And so how do we know this? How do we know he was devoutly religious? Um, look at the last part of verse 27 and the rest of verse 28 and it helps us it says he had come to jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophet isaiah 
as the Ethiopian is being chauffeured back home in his chariot, and by the way, um, back then, if you were being escorted or chauffeured in a chariot, you were traveling in style. And so that gives us an idea of how kind of um, what a figure, what a person he was. He was a high ranking individual. And so as he's been chauffeured back home in his chariot, he's engrossed in reading the book of Isaiah. Look at verse 29 and 30. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? Before we go on, notice this. Notice that earlier, it was an angel that commanded Philip to leave Samaria. Now it's the Holy Spirit that commands him to go over to the chariot. There is so much here and there could be tons of sermons on this about how to hear from God and when God is speaking. But this helps us know that God speaks to his people in so many ways. Okay, God speaks to his people in so many ways. And when I say that, um, what I don't mean is that we should avoid scripture and God speaking through the Bible and only focus on extemporaneous ways that people speak or God speaks to us as in dreams and visions and all of that. No, like I, the, the God speaks in that way as well. And we need scripture to support or to affirm whether someone or God is leading us in a particular direction. But this basically in terms of him hearing from an angel and Holy Spirit lets us know that God speaks to his people in so many different ways. And we're going to explore that later on in Acts um, when it comes in terms of how God speaks to his people. But let's move on. So Philip obeys, even though it doesn't make sense, by doing exactly what the Spirit tells him to do. He makes his way to the chariot and he gets close enough to hear the Ethiopian reading from the Bible. Philip then grabs his attention and asks him, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31 provides us with the Ethiopian's response. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. What was he reading? And why did he struggle to understand? Verse 32 and 33 helps us. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb, before its shearers is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. The Ethiopian was reading a section from the book of Isaiah. Listen to this. Whenever we're sharing the gospel with someone, there are several Bible passages that are perfect for sharing the gospel. These passages communicate the gospel so well and they act as a good starting point for us to launch into gospel conversations. Um, John 3.16 is one of them. 
Um, what about Romans 6.23? There are several Bible passages that are perfect for evangelism. In those days, they only had the Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't been compiled yet. And so, check this. Of all the passages in the Old Testament that the Ethiopian could have been reading, there is no single chapter more appropriate for explaining the work of Christ than Isaiah 53. It's incredible. You know, he it's not as if he was reading Leviticus or something. Imagine, you know, if he was reading Leviticus. Man, he's reading Isaiah and he's reading the section of Isaiah that communicates the gospel in its clearest way. And so as soon as the Ethiopian invites Philip to sit with him in his chariot, he explains to Philip why he doesn't understand what he's reading. Look at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And so th this question makes sense. He's reading about this um, lamb, the sheep being led to the slaughter, and he understands that it's an allegory of something, and it's explained. And he's just basically, who is this talking about? And so this question wasn't new to Philip. He had heard it plenty of times. For a long time, the identity of the person being described in Isaiah um, has been debated. You know, in, in Israel at the time, people didn't know who it was. Um, they weren't sure if it was King David or prophets or one of the prophets or the prophet Isaiah himself. It's a popular question and no one had really been able to come up with a satisfactory answer. But what we do know is that most first century Jews did not interpret the suffering servant described in Isaiah 53 as a prophecy about the coming Messiah. But most believe that the prophecy had to do with their own suffering as a nation. And so this is a great opportunity for Philip to clarify who this is talking about. And he does just that, doesn't he? Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Beginning with this passage, Philip uses it to unveil that the servant in Isaiah is indeed Jesus, the Messiah, who would rescue God's people from their sin by taking the debt of their iniquity upon himself. As the Ethiopian listens to Philip explain the gospel, he's stirred. He's amped right now. <laughs> it all makes sense for him now. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the lamb on whom God laid the iniquity of his people. And as soon as he understands this, as soon as he understands that what he's been reading in Isaiah is about the Christ and that the offer of salvation is not only for Jews, but for everyone everywhere who believes. 
and that he too can be baptized, signifying that he belonged to Christ. Look at how he responds. Look at what he does next in verse 36 and 38. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Before we go on, um, you may have noticed something interesting about the actual um, text or the verse numbers in your Bible translation. I use the ESV. And if you use a similar modern translation of the Bible, you'll notice that verse 37 is missing. All right. I can't see all of you, but who has verse 37 missing from their translation of the Bible in this story? Okay. In the new, the King James Version and some of the kind of, more older translations include verse 37 but the reason um, modern translations like ESV and IV can't remember what other translations don't include it is because verse 37 they realized that it was not part of some of the original manuscripts and it was added later on. And so the translators of the ESV and other similar translations um, thought it best to leave it out since it wasn't in the original manuscript. But the King James Version, King James Version, were very much like, yeah, we'll include it. And so that's just some fun facts for you guys. You can go online and do some research on it. but And you can also read um, how what verse 37 says in the King James Version. Some fun facts. Moving on. And so um, the eunuch wants to get baptized. Amazing. It's fascinating. Um, and the interesting thing is this. As amazing as this was, as amazing as the fact that this Ethiopian eunuch just got saved, understands the gospel and asks to be baptized, as amazing as this was, what's even more amazing is this. Check this, listen carefully. That this man, this Ethiopian, who got saved and baptized about 2,000 years ago, is said to be the first missionary to Africa. The first missionary to the great continent of Africa. And it all makes sense, doesn't it? It all makes sense. And we'll find out why it makes sense later. We've seen so far that sometimes we've got to obey God even if it doesn't make sense. And the next question we need to think about is this. How can we obey God 
even when it doesn't make sense. In other words, what will enable us to obey God when it doesn't make sense? There are a few things that will help us to be like Philip and to respond like Philip. And I think one of the key things is that we need to know when God is speaking. We need to know God's voice when God is speaking. And for us to know when God is speaking means that we need to speak we need to dive deep in scripture we need to saturate ourselves with scripture because the bible contains the very um, description of who god is and the bible contains the will of god and so for us to be able to know how you know, to obey God, even when it doesn't make sense, we need to know God, his mind, his heart through the Bible. The next thing that will help us know um, how to obey God is to know the gospel and to take every opportunity to share the gospel. Man, look, you saw, you saw Philip. He heard Isaiah, first of all, was because of his knowledge of scripture that he was able to um, know that the eunuch was reading Isaiah and how he was able to understand what Isaiah was saying. And from the passage in Isaiah, he was able to get to the gospel and communicate the gospel. It's amazing. And so there are some of the ways of how... Um, we can obey God even when it doesn't make sense. With all of this in mind, I also think the key to obeying God when it doesn't make sense is this. Recognizing, and if you're making notes, you can put this up. Recognizing that your obedience to God will always play a part in his greater purposes. And for Philip, his obedience to God's call to leave Samaria and head south to Gaza didn't make sense at the time. But even though it didn't make sense, it ended up fulfilling God's purpose for the gospel to reach Africa through the Ethiopian eunuch. And for Philip, it, 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 what, what a privilege. It was for him to play such a key role in God's great plan. Um, it was. Obedience doesn't always make sense, but always fulfill God's purposes. It didn't make sense for us, Eleanor and I, and the team that joined us to start a church, not only in San Diego, but in Pacific Beach of all places, it didn't make sense. When we were starting the church, we kept hearing over and over again how that area of San Diego, San Diego itself, but that specific area was a graveyard for church plants. It just didn't make sense that us, <laughs> Eleanor and I, <laughs> the only cool thing about us is we're from Britain or something and that goes a long way and that helps but like apart from us Eleanor and I always say like who are we 
to have like started this thing just didn't make sense. We didn't have much connections. It wasn't even our country. We're not even citizens, you know? And so for us to be able to do that and to see the fruit um, that God has been able to produce um, has been amazing. Obedience doesn't always make sense, but always fulfills God's purpose. In her book, Humble Roots, Hannah Anderson, if you have not read Humble Roots, you should read it. I read a chapter, uh, my first chapter, um, this morning when I was prepping for my sermon because Eleanor left it for me. Um, I was so down and like super discouraged and everything. And she left a note. I woke up early to work on my sermon and she had left a note with on the book and said read this chapter i read it it was an awesome chapter and so if you've not read it read humble roots by hannah anderson it's awesome this is what she writes if we limit ourselves to working only when the signs are promising we limit our ability to see god at his best let me say that again if we limit ourselves to working only when the signs are promising, we limit our ability to see God at his best. What is God calling you to do? It may not make sense. It may not be clear what the purpose is. And it may not be. And if you're like me, I'm just purpose driven. Okay, no pun intended. Purpose driven. <laughs> I want to know what's next, what I'm going to do. And so if I was in Philip's shoes, I would be freaking out. God's just telling me to go a direction and I don't know what the purpose is. What is God calling you to do? It may not make sense. You may not know exactly what the purpose is. But trust that God is at work and your obedience will always play a part in his plan for everyone, everywhere to hear and believe the gospel. You see, when you say yes to whatever God is calling you to do, when you obey God, no matter how small or mundane it may seem, Whenever you choose to obey God, think about this. Your obedience contributes to his ultimate plan for everyone, everywhere to love and live for him. That's what your obedience, your obedience to um, participate in a local church and serve in the church, no matter what you do, it's contributing, right, to God's ultimate plan for everyone, everywhere to love and live for Jesus. Guess what? It's true. Why? Because, because of your faithfulness to the local church, to our church and to God's call to, for you to be part of a church, we're able to send the jacks out. And we're able to um, um, contribute to the, 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 the gospel and go into places that it's never gone. And, and so, you know, you can make the connection. Think about whatever you do, however small or mundane, contributes 
to God's ultimate plan for everyone everywhere to love and live for him. And another really insightful thing about all of this is this. You may not ever know the full impact of your obedience. You may not never know how God will use your faithfulness. When Philip left Samaria to travel the desert road to Gaza, he didn't have a clue that he was going to be instrumental in the gospel reaching Africa. He didn't know he was going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch um, who would get saved through his ministry and be used by God as possibly the first missionary to Africa. He didn't have a clue. How do we know this? Look at verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Think about it. Philip baptizes this guy and then when he's done, poof, gone, disappears. We don't know whether Philip lived long enough to see and hear about the impact um, that the Ethiopian eunuch, because look, it says he went on his way rejoicing, meaning he went back um, to where to Ethiopia, where he was from, um, rejoicing. And I'm sure God used him powerfully. That's why they say he's possibly the first missionary to Africa. But Philip didn't get to see that. We've seen some supernatural things in Acts so far. We've seen how an angel miraculously freed the apostles from prison. We've seen people get healed, but we've not seen anything quite like this before. Philip helps this Ethiopian understand the gospel. He baptizes him and then suddenly he vanishes. He's carried away, it says. And that the Greek in that. Um, if you look at the Greek and the meaning behind the Greek word for this English phrase is that he just like disappeared. He's gone. Um, <laughs> just disappeared. So this morning, um, as I was studying, we have a lot of snails in our backyard here, by the way. A lot of snails. They're everywhere. Our kids love them. New pets. And I was studying. I looked out the window and I saw a snail on a tree. And I kept on... Um, studying just kind of oh there's a snail another snail oh my gosh and so I went back to my study and then I can't even remember how long later but moments later I looked and the snail was gone the snail was gone and I said to my kids when they woke up do snails move that fast and they said to me smells disappear faster than you think okay and so this whole idea of the disappearing act, it made, just made me think about what happened to Philip. Of course, it probably wasn't as slow as uh, the snail, but he disappeared. Um, where did he go? Um, he went to Azotos and a place called Azotos, um, verse 40 tells us. And when he got there, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He settled in Caesarea. We may not always know exactly how God will use our obedience. But what we do know is that although our obedience doesn't always make sense, 
and we may never see or hear about the impact it makes. Our uncomfortable obedience will always be used by God to fulfill his great purpose. You will be required to obey God's call when it doesn't make sense. And as challenging as this may be, you'll be able to obey when you recognize that your obedience to God will always play a part in his great plan for everyone everywhere to love and live for him. Ladies and gentlemen, God is at work. And listen to me on this one. God is at work in your life and in the lives of so many people in San Diego. And guess what? He continues to extend an invite to you to obey his call to carry on his mission wherever wherever he has placed you and sometimes obeying God may not make sense but know that it will always play a part in his great purpose his great plan for everyone everywhere to believe let's pray